26. Last week, it's just a very, 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 um, how do I say this? Like a, um, a difficult week, uh, this Passover week where we're studying. Um, it's a week where at the beginning of the week, the people are crying out and saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, when Jesus Christ comes riding on a donkey into uh, on the Temple Mount, he comes riding on there saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, which translates as save now. They want the, because he's the prophesied king, you know, they thought he was the Messiah and he, indeed he is the Messiah. But when things didn't pan out the way they thought it would, less than a week later, they're saying, crucify him, crucify him. Little did they know that it's like, wait a second, Jesus Christ has to be king of my heart first, king of your heart. And then, you know, the second coming of Christ, he is coming again. And so they had they had an understanding of scripture, but it was kind of uh, it wasn't complete. That's why Jesus Christ was very, very mad at the Pharisees, the religious teachers, because they had a responsibility to teach the people. And then he has a hardcore indictment against them. And he says, you guys are hypocrites. He says, you hypocrites, you brood of vipers. And it's such a trip because it's like how the word of God prophesied of the coming king and then prophesied of the coming king being crucified and killed. And you think like, and you read the prophecy in Isaiah 53, it's like, it says it's pleasing to the father. And it's like, how, how can it be pleasing to the father for the Messiah, his only begotten son to be killed? Well, when you read through the law and you see that the penalty of sin is death, and how the Bible teaches that life, that life is in the blood. All of a sudden it starts to come into clear picture where, wait a second, my sin was atoned for by Jesus Christ. It's, it's a complete and total transfer of debt. The wages of my sin, the wages of your sin is death. And then all of a sudden belief and faith in Jesus Christ, it says, okay, Jesus Christ paid the price for my sin. And a lot of people say, oh, you Christians, you're crazy. You know, you think we should stone this. We think you should, we should stone these people, stone these people and judge these people. And these people are going to hell. It's like, wait, you got it all wrong. You know, it's like I was on my way to hell. You know, it should have been me who was killed for my sin. That's how much I love Jesus Christ. Let me tell you more about him. And it's such a hardcore truth because the people were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, save now. And then less than a week later, they're saying, kill him, crucify him. Even Peter, when he says, you know, over my dead body, this isn't going to happen. And Jesus Christ said, get behind me, Satan. These things must happen for scripture to be fulfilled. And in verse 20, uh, 56, in Matthew 26, verse 56 says, but all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Remember, every jot and every tittle of the word of God will be fulfilled. And when you think of every jot and every tittle, how it trans translates in, you know, some translations, you know, the way I see it is like every, every T crossed and every I dotted. Everything of Holy Scripture will be fulfilled. And then... The end of verse 56 says, Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. For me, it kills me to read those words. 
all the disciples forsook him and fled. And you hear me reference John chapter 6 quite a bit because it's such a crazy, crazy chapter of the Bible. Because you have thousands and thousands of people following Jesus Christ. He feeds the multitudes, which is a beautiful thing. He feeds multitudes of people, over 5,000. And then all of a sudden you read a couple lines into John 6 and something happens where they're following. He feeds the 5,000 so the multitudes are coming to him. And then he stops and he turns around and he tells them, you guys are following after me because you like your bellies full. And they got mad at him. And all of a sudden these 5,000 people became hundreds of people. And then he turns to hundreds of disciples and he gives them more truth. And these hundreds of the disciples, it becomes 12 people, the 12 disciples. And in a couple weeks ago, we looked at the betrayal of uh, Judas. And the 12 become 11. And here in Matthew 26, verse 56, the 11 become zero. Jesus Christ is all by himself, like a lamb led to the slaughter. His uh, prophesied death. And he says in verse 57, And those who had laid hold of Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest. You know, it's remember, this is a wild night. This particular night, what's happening here, because that same night at the beginning of the evening, they had the Passover meal. They were in the upper room. And then, you know, they leave from the upper room and they go from the Kidron Valley and they go up to the Garden of Gethsemane. And that's where the Lord told them, hey, you guys stay here and pray. And then you look at verse 39 where the Lord says, it says he went a little farther. So Jesus Christ separates from the disciples. He's all by himself. He went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed saying, oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. These are big words. Because the Lord himself gives us, gives, gives us a model of servanthood unto the Father. Not my will, thy will, Lord. Always remember that for the rest of your life. Because in life, you're going to say, I want this, I want this, I want this. But then it's like, wait a second, put the brakes on and say, Wait a second, Lord, does this align with your will or is this my will? It's very, very important in the life of a believer. And, you know, as much as the disciples in this particular passage, they fell asleep. It was in the wee hours of the evening and they all fell asleep. It says in verse 43, their eyes were heavy and they all fell asleep. And while the Lord himself is praying unto the Father, understand too that Satan is at work. Satan doesn't sleep. God doesn't sleep. Satan doesn't sleep either. A lot of times you think like, wow, you know, it's like I have belief in the Lord, a belief in the Lord, which is a beautiful thing. But understand that it's spiritual warfare. Hardcore spiritual warfare. And Satan, who the Bible says was a murderer from the beginning, he doesn't play fair. He plays cheap. That's why it's very important to always be in prayer. Always be in prayer and in the word. When God is at work, Satan is at work too. He wants to kill you. He wants to destroy you. He wants to bring you ruin and calamity. And in verse 57, it says, And those who had laid hold of Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. Remember, like in verse 3, they were plotting. 
In verse 3 says that they were plotting to take Jesus by trickery and to kill him. You know, and it's such a wild night. And it's not over yet. There's events that are going to happen that are going to get worse. Ultimately, in the death of our Lord. And then in verse 58 says, but Peter followed him at a distance. Peter followed him at a distance. You know, it's 100% of the time. Always, always, always precursory to a denial of Christ is following him at a distance. Always. You know, I'll give you an example of what that looks like. Somebody who's walking with the Lord and loves the Lord. And then all of a sudden they get deceived. And then they start to play games with sin. Oh, yeah, I'll go ahead and partake of this. I'll go ahead and partake of this. And slowly but surely what's happening is they're distancing self, th- themselves from the Lord. And what I say is close the gap. If there's distance between you and Jesus Christ, close the gap. Don't let there be any daylight between you and the Lord. You know, you see it in other people and sometimes you might even see it in yourself. You know, you read the Bible and it's like, wow, you know, uh, uh, you know, I've got this stuff going on over here. I got this stuff going on over here. You read the Bible and the word reveals it's not good. It's not pleasing to the Lord is to say, you know what, Lord, I repent. Forgive me. That's how we're changed. That's how we mature in Christ. You know, and the closer, you know, if there's any distance between you and Jesus Christ, and I say close the distance, let there be no daylight between you and the Lord. Like straight up, like you can't even put anything in between you guys. It's you and Jesus Christ and people will hate you. People will hate you. But remember that they hated Jesus Christ first. Here, Peter is following Jesus Christ at a distance. And if you remember when he says in verse 33, he's Peter's like hardcore. He's like, I will never be made to stumble. Lord, I'm going to follow you to the bitter end. I will never be made to stumble. In verse 34, Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times, three times. And what blows me away is that all the disciples forsook Jesus Christ, what it says in verse 56, and Peter starts to follow him at a distance. Not a good thing to follow the Lord at a distance. I'm going to fast forward a little bit. And if you look at verse 69, there was a girl who said to him, you also were with Jesus of Galilee. And verse 70 says, but he denied it before them all. This is Peter now. He denied it before them all saying, I do, I do not know what you are saying. That's denial number one. Denial number one. You look at the next verse in verse 71. This fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. Another girl said it. Looks at Peter. Hey, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. Verse 72. But again, he denied with an oath. I do not know the man. Exclamation point. I do not know him. Denial number two. In verse 73. Surely you are one of them for your speech betrays you. Verse 74. Then 
he began to curse and swear. This is Brother Peter. He began to curse and swear. You know what that's indicative of? The old nature. The old nature. You never hear him. You never, in all of, you know, Matthew 1 up until this point, you never hear of Peter cursing, swearing. And then all of a sudden, look what happens here in verse 74. He began to curse and swear. The old man is alive. The former man is alive. Saying, I do not know the man, exclamation point. That's denial number three. That's the danger of following Jesus Christ at a distance. What we read in verse 58. But Peter followed him as at a distance. And that was, that's what Satan wants to create in my life and your life. Distance between you and Jesus Christ. That's how Judas fell. Judas fell by transgression. What does it mean to transgress? I'll tell you what it means. It means to play games with the Lord. Oh yeah, this is, the Bible says that this is bad, but I'll go ahead and partake of it. You know, the Bible says that, you know, I can't do my crack anymore. I'll go ahead and do some crack. You know, the Bible says I can't get drunk anymore. Oh, you know what? I'll just repent. When, when I sober up, I'll just repent and go to church the next day. It doesn't work that way. That's playing games with God's grace. And not just that. Something happens inside a person's heart where it gets harder and harder and harder and harder. You know, like Jello. You take Jello, and if you want to put like you know, fruit in it or something, you know, or bananas or whatever, you know, you let it soften up a little bit, and then you, and then you put it all in. And that's that's what our heart is supposed to be like, soft before the Lord, where He can we can read the Word, and the Word of God goes right into our hearts. But when we transgress, when we start to play games with the Lord. Something happens where our heart becomes harder and harder and harder. And it's like you read the Bible and all of a sudden it can't go inside anymore. That's what happened to Judas. That's, what's ha that's what happened to Judas. And it blows me away because, you know, it's like that's the danger behind following Jesus Christ at the distance. And I say, close the gap, close the distance. Let there be no distance between you and him. The lover of your soul, the lover of your life. And so, you know, we look at these passages, but turn with me to 1 Samuel really quick. 1 Samuel chapter 9. First Samuel chapter 9. And we're going to look at Pride and humility. Pride and humility. In 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 15, you know, we just looked at passages about the denial of Peter, and now we're going to look at, through several verses, the denial of a fellow by the name of Saul. This is Saul of the Old Testament. There's another Saul of the New Testament, but not yet. We'll get more of that later. The denial of Saul. And in verse 15 says, now the Lord had told Samuel, Samuel was a prophet of God. He is a, a, a man at this point, but when he was a boy, he had ears to hear. He was, he heard from his youth. He heard the voice of the Lord. 
And it's such a trip because you don't have to turn there, but in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse, 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1 says, The word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. And then you look at that and you think like, wow, you know, what, what, what happened? The Lord was quiet. The Lord was silent. Well, you look at the, the condition of the heart of men, culturally speaking, at this time. It wasn't, it wasn't that the Lord was just silent for the heck of it. Eli, he was a wicked priest. He wanted to be, he wanted to be uh, uh, instead of rebuking his, his sons, he wanted to be their friend. It's such a trip because the high priest, when you look at the law, I'm not advocating the law, but when you look at the law, the high priest was the one who would go and commune with the Lord and then come out of the Holy of Holies and then come back and tell the priest and they would distribute God's word to the people. And here you have people that were turning temple worship into business. His sons were wicked. They were, you know, women would come with their offering and they would have sex with the women. And it's like, oh, they would pretend they were holy guys. It was all for show. And that's why the Lord was silent. It's like, how can the Lord speak to somebody? It's like, wow, you know, if I'm playing games with sin, if I'm beating on my wife and cheating on my wife and, you know, going to the crack pipe and doing all these things, how can I expect the Lord to speak to me when I have sin in my life and I have to fall to my knees and repent? God is no respecter of persons and he is not mocked. And that's the condition of the heart of men at this particular time, except there was a prophet by the name of Samuel who heard the voice of the Lord and the Lord communed with him and he spoke with him. In verse 15 says, now the Lord, oh, going back to 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 15. Now the Lord had told Samuel in his ear the day before Saul came saying, tomorrow about this time, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. So this Saul of the Old Testament was a Benjamite, just like the Saul of the New Testament, who also was a Benjamite. More on that later in about four months, but we'll see. He says, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin and you shall anoint him commander over my people Israel, that he may save my people from the hand of the Philistines. For I have looked upon my people because their cry has come to me. So when Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said to him, there he is, the man of whom I spoke to you. This one shall reign over my people. You know, Saul was blessed of the Lord. He received the blessings of the Lord. And when you start reading here, when he's anointed and chosen to be king, the Lord speaks to him and Saul starts to prophesy. He speaks on behalf of the Lord. But then something happens. Something happens in the heart of Saul. And you know what it is? It's pride. Pride. Pride in life, in your life, in my life, will restrict you from falling to your knees and bowing before the Lord. That's what pride does in life. Humility. You will fall to your knees in a heartbeat. That's what humility does. My exhortation to everyone here, everyone who hears these words, is to be a lover of humility. Fall in love with humility. Fall in love with meekness. Because it's an aid to us. 
in the pride of life, you read, it's like, man, I don't need this. I don't need help in this area. I don't need help with this. I don't need help with that. But in your heart of hearts, you do need help. And pride will restrict you from falling to your face before the Lord. Now turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 13. In 1 Samuel 13, verse 13, and Samuel, remember, Samuel's a prophet. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. And, you know, I'm, I'm not to gloss over the events, but what I want to look at is the heart of Saul. And we're going to juxtapose that with the heart of Peter. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. This is the prophet of God who's calling Saul out. On his disobedience. Saul is being disobedient to the Lord. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people. And this is a big deal what he says right here. Because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. You have not kept his disobedience. And I don't want to sound like, you know, like. I know it sounds it's abrasive. You know, it's abrasive to the ear to hear these words. And, you know, the Bible teaches how Jesus Christ, he gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit to say, wait a second. You know, when you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, it's a beautiful thing. Because all you have to do, if you ever read the Bible and you're on cloud nine, you're so full of joy. It's like, well, I fall in love with the Lord. And then all you have to do is turn the page. And I guarantee you, you're going to come across passages that are like a knife in your heart. Pride. We'll say, oh, you know what? I'm not going to read this passage anymore. It's too, it hurts me too much. I don't like it. So I'm going to skip this book. I'm going to skip this book. And I'm just going to read Psalm, you know, any one of the Psalms, you know, because I like those. You know, I'm definitely not going to touch Proverbs because it's like a knife in my heart. Don't do that. Don't do that. Because it's the Holy Spirit that desires to do a work in our lives. And first, he has to change us by renewing of our minds and transform us. It's how we grow. It's how we mature. And, the, and Saul, or Samuel is straight up calling Saul out and saying, hey, you've been disobedient to the Lord. You have not kept what the Lord commanded you. If Saul were a humble man, he would have said, Samuel, you're right. Samuel, you're right, and fall to his face before the Lord. Father, I repent. Forgive me. You know, when he says in verse 14, the Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. You see, it's David. You know, we have the full counsel of the word of God, and it's David. And David committed egregious sin. And when Nathan the prophet called him out, David repented. David fell in his face. I have sinned before the Lord. I have sinned against the Lord. You see, humility and pride. Pride in Saul. 
anointed of the Lord, and you're going to see how all of a sudden he turns his back to the Lord. But then you see David, too, committed egregious sin. And when he was called on it, when he was confronted with the sin, he fell to his face and said, I have sinned against the Lord. That's humility. Pride restricts humility. Pride restricts meekness. Turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 15 now. 1 Samuel 15, verse 10. Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel. Remember, Samuel's the prophet. Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me. You know, I I don't like to inject too much uh, Calvinism. Maybe I do, you know, Calvinism and Reformed theology who say they teach, you know, God predestines people to heaven and God predestines people to hell. I don't believe that at all. I reject it wholeheartedly. 100%. I take that doctrine and I throw it in the trash. Because you see, it's not God who ordained Saul to turn his back. He didn't for he doesn't create robots. The Lord is the one who's speaking to Samuel and he says, "I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me." One one little phrase in a in a verse here. And it just throws Calvinism in the trash bin and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel and he cried out to the Lord all night. I, I love Samuel so much. That's what's so cool about reading the Bible, because it's like, you know, you might know of, you know, oh, I heard about this guy, Samuel. But then when you actually get to first Samuel and you start reading everything and you follow along what he's doing, how the Lord is speaking to him. It's like, well, I've fallen in love with this guy. I love this guy so much. And then you hear how the Lord speaks to him and how the Lord communes with him. And it's like, whoa, you know, God is no respecter of persons. Male, female, young, old, you know, from a young age, the Lord wasn't speaking to Eli, the high priest. He spoke to, you know, young little Samuel. And the Lord does the same today. You think like, wow, you know, you watch this guy with, you know, a huge church. And it's like, wow, you know, the Lord speaks to that man. Surely the Lord speaks to that man. No, the Lord speaks to whoever has meekness, whoever has ears to hear. The Lord speaks from his word. And I love Samuel because it grieved him. You didn't see any pride in Samuel. It grieved Samuel and he cried out to the Lord all night. Now, turn with me to 1 Samuel 28 now. No humility in Saul. No humility in Saul. And you're going to see it's like, whoa, like, what, what's happening? What are you doing? Saul, who was anointed of the Lord, who turned his back on the Lord. And now in 1 Samuel 28, verse 5, there's a a battle going on. And this is a battle without the Lord. And you say, like, what do you mean a battle without the Lord? A, A battle without the Lord because Saul turned his back on the Lord. 
He says in verse 5, when Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid and his heart trembled greatly. Notice his eyes are now on the problem. That's what's so dangerous about in my life, in your life, you're going to come across situations in life where it's like, whoa, this is a huge problem. And, you know, you might say you might go with, you know, counselors, you know, I'm going to talk to this counselor. And you tell the counselor, he sits there, you know, tell me your problems. And you, you know, spend an hour with them, spend two hours with them, and then they charge you money. It's like, they might give you some Prozac, you know, they might give you some anxiety pills, whatever. That's what happens when you have your eyes on the problem. But what happens when you have your eyes on the Lord? And you keep your eyes on the Lord. You don't even have to know what's happening. It's like, wow, you know, I, I understand that, you know, yeah, this is happening. And it could lead to this, 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 this. And you start to worry. But when you have your eyes on the Lord, something happens. Where just like when he told um, Hezekiah. He sent a prophet to Hezekiah and said, you know, Hezekiah had all these armies against him. And he tells the prophet, he says, you know, I want the prophet was uh, Isaiah. He says, I want you to go to King Hezekiah and give him a message for me. And so in obedience, the prophet goes and enters the kingdom. And then all of a sudden says, hey, I have a message from the Lord for King Hezekiah. King Hezekiah is there. He says, okay, what is the message of the Lord? And then something happens where he says, thus saith the the Lord, go to sleep, go to sleep. And it's such a trip because all the armies of the Assyrians were killed by one angel of the Lord. That's what happens when Hezekiah had his eyes on the Lord. Yeah, he had a problem, but he was seeking the Lord and he was praying unto the Lord. And then the Lord spoke to him through the prophet and said, you know what? Don't worry about it. The battle is not yours. The battle is mine. Saul didn't have that. Because Saul turned his back on the Lord. He says this in verse 6. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him either by dreams or urim. Urim is like... We're going to see in the law, in one of our studies on Wednesday, the high priest would have certain stones on his breastplate. And these breast, the, the, these stones, they were like, uh, the priest would use them as like, as um, you know, like uh, um, in the Old Testament, they would cast lots. And they would use these stones to, to kind of uh, indicate what the will of the Lord was. This is under the law. I'm not, this isn't under the, the law of grace. This is under the law of the Old Testament. And, he, you know, it says the Lord did not answer him either by dreams or by Urim or by the prophets. So you see, God is silent. It's not just to say God is silent for the heck of it. He's silent for a reason. Saul turned his back on the Lord. In verse seven, then Saul said to his servants, find me a woman who is a medium, a necromancer. Talks to dead people. Talks to the dead. This is something in the law that is forbidden. God forbids it. He says, hey, don't mess around with this stuff. Do not mess around with this. And you see it all over the place. I was talking with the guy once. He says, you know, Jay, you're a Christian, but what do you think about this guy on TV? And I was like, I never heard of him. Who is he? He shows me a YouTube video where he talks to dead people. 
And all these people are in the audience and they're like crying. Oh, yeah, my uncle said this. He's been dead for 10 years and he's speaking to me. The Bible says don't play around with that stuff. It's things of the occult. It's demonic. Remember, God is a jealous God. You think like, you know, and the Bible even calls his name jealous. You think like, well, how can God be jealous? He loves you. He wants you. He doesn't want to share you with anybody. He doesn't want to share you with another God. He doesn't want to share you with, you know, Buddha. He doesn't want to share you with Muhammad. He loves you. And it's such a trip because here you have Saul anointed of the Lord at one point. And then all of a sudden he's doing something completely and totally against the Lord. Find me a woman who is a medium. So God's not speaking to him. So he goes to necromancy. That I may go to her and inquire of her. Humility, he would have fallen to his knees long ago. But humility here, he would have still fallen to his knees. Pride says, you know what? My will. What is my will? I need answers. So now I'm going to get answers wherever I want to. Like, I'm going to go to a necromancer. I'm going to speak to a medium and get counsel from her. That's what pride does. That's what happens when we listen to the voice of Satan. Who still whispers in people's ears. Remember the first question in the Bible. Did God really say an immediate affront to God's word? And he didn't come out, you know, like, you know, like a, a dragon with the horns and a, the tail or whatever, like they have on TV and his pitchfork. No, he came. He was like, you know, um, very persuasive. Did God really say? First question in the Bible. And so look what happens here, still in verse 7. And his servant said to him, In fact, there is In fact, there is a woman who is a medium at Endor. So Saul disguised himself and put on other clothes, and he went, and two men with him. And they came to the woman by night, and he said, Please conduct a seance. What, what is happening here? I mean, have you ever talked to other believers where it's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to partake in this. I'm going to do this. And you're like, what are you doing? That's not pleasing to the Lord. Why are you going to go out and get high tonight? Why are you going to go out with your friends and go to the strip club? Why are you going to do this? It's not pleasing to the Lord. And here you have Saul doing that exact thing. He's saying, please conduct a seance for me and bring up for me the one I shall name to you. Formerly anointed with God, of God, spoke with God. And now look what's happening. If you're ever in a situation for as long as you live, you could be 80 years old and I would be, I'll be long gone. If you ever come to a point in life where you think in your heart of hearts, what have I done? What in the world have I done? Repent. Fall to your knees. Fall to your face before the Lord and say, Lord, forgive me. I blew it. I blew it. 
And so he goes and speaks to this necromancer. And verse 9 says, Then the woman said to him, Look, you know what Saul has done. And so it's like, you know, she's naming Saul. And you think like, wow, you know, he, she's speaking to Saul. So what's up? Don't forget that he disguised himself. You know, he dis- he put other clothes on and he disguised himself. So the necromancer didn't know he was speaking to that she was speaking to Saul at this moment. He says how he has cut off. He says, you know what she says, you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off the mediums and the spiritists from the land. So Paul, at one point in his life, was so close with the Lord that all of a sudden he started to clean house. No more spiritists, no more mediums, no more necromancers. You guys are all forbidden. But here something happened where now he's the one who's seeking counsel from these people. You see how he has changed? What happened in his life? And very early on, you see the passages that we read, very early on, you see that he turned his back on the Lord. There was distance between him and the Lord. It grew bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. In verse 10, And Saul Saul swore to her by the Lord, saying, As the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Fast forward to verse 15. He's actually speaking with Samuel now, who is dead. And he's actually speaking. The Lord permits Samuel to come up and speak to Saul. In verse 15, now Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? And Saul answered, I am deeply distressed for the Philistines make war against me. And God has departed from me. And does not answer me anymore, neither by prophets nor by dreams. So he's saying here, God has departed from me. But you know what the real answer is? Saul departed from God. God has departed from me and does not answer me anymore, neither by the prophets nor by dreams. Therefore, I have called you that you may reveal to me what I should do. Then Samuel said, so why do you ask me, seeing that the Lord has departed from you and has become your enemy? The distance became so great between Saul and the Lord where it's like, and you know, it's like a defection to the other side. And that's what sin can do in my life and your life. That's what transgression can do in my life and your life. It happened with, it happened with David. King David, it happened with King David. There was distance between him and the Lord, except you know what he did? He fell to his face and repented. It also happened with Judas, who fell by transgression and the distance between him. He walked with Jesus Christ and the distance between him became greater and greater and greater. And then finally, Satan indwelt him. He fell by transgression. And there's only two people in the Bible who are indwelt by Satan. Judas is number one, and number two is the coming Antichrist. The coming Antichrist, the prophesied Antichrist. And this distance between the Lord and a person can happen to me, it can happen to you. It happened to Peter as well. It happened to beautiful, beautiful, beautiful Peter, who at one point said, 
I'm not falling, you know, over my dead body. They're not taking you. And the Lord told him, you're going to deny me three times. Before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. I mean, we don't have it so much here. But if you go, you know, visit family in, you know, like the third world, like Mexico, El Salvador, or, you know, Central America, you know, I, I have, I'm Hispanic descent, so that's why I name those countries. But, you know, if you go into like the third world, you know, very, very early in the morning, you start to hear the roosters crow. Very early in the morning. And, you know, it's like the alarm clock. You know, the rooster crows, and then you go get up, eat breakfast, and go to work. And so the very night before the rooster crowed, the Lord said, you're going to, not, going to deny me three times. I mean, how, how far-fetched that would have been for Peter to hear. Like, what? I'm going to, I'm going to die with you. I'll, I'll die before this happens. And that's the danger of the distance getting bigger and bigger. The chasm between you and the Lord. If you're ever in a situation where you find the gap between you and the Lord getting bigger and bigger and bigger, repent and close the gap. Let there be no daylight between you and the Lord. Turn with me really quick to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. And this is what Brother Paul says, who, whose name was Saul. But more on that later. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 8, he says, For even if I made you sorry with my letter. So Paul wrote a letter to the church. And it was, it was kind of hardcore. Where he told them, you guys, your rejoicing isn't a good thing. It's not good that you gather together and sing praise and hallelujah and do all these things when there's sin. He says, you guys need to clean up the sin and then you worship the Lord. He says in verse 8, For even if I made you sorry or grieved and distressed and sad with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I perceive that the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a while. Now I rejoice, not that you may, that, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. There's going to be a bunch of times in your life when you read the Bible and you're going to feel sorry. You're going to feel shame. You're going to feel even guilty sometimes. And you know what I say? Accept it. You know, you accept it. Because there's something referred to as godly sorrow. And that's what Paul is writing about here. He says, now I rejoice. Not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner. That you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation. Have you ever felt sorry before the Lord? Where it's like, wow, you know, I'm guilty of this. I committed this. I did this. I did this. I did this. And I say, rejoice. That's what godly sorrow produces. Verse 10 says, produces salvation. Produces repentance leading to salvation. 
not to be not to be um, regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. And those are the passages that we looked at. Sorrow of the world. That's what Saul had. Sorrow of the world. Yeah, he was sad. But he was sad. Sadness and sorrow mixed with pride. That's the sorrow of the world. But what David had, what Peter had, was godly sorrow. It's sorrow mixed with humility and meekness. Godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. For observe this very thing, that you sorrowed in a godly manner. What diligence it produced in you. What clearing of yourself. What indignation. What fear. What vehement desire. What zeal. What vindication. Those seven things. Diligence. Clearing or like self-defense. Indignation. Fear. Vehement desire. Zeal. Vindication. In all things you proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. Translates as to be innocent and chaste and wise and a virgin. Pure before the Lord. In life you're going to have sorrow. Plain and simple. But what kind of sorrow? Worldly sorrow? Or godly sorrow. I say choose godly sorrow. And humility will aid you in that matter. In that manner too. Pride will work against your faith. That's the pride like Saul had. That's the pride like uh, Judas had. And Peter here going, this is like a little study within a study. Going back to Matthew 26 now. Verse 58. Jesus Christ is already captured now. He's arrested. He's with the high priest now. And Peter is witness of these things. And Peter followed him at a distance to the high priest's courtyard. And he went in and sat with the servants to see the end. All the disciples forsook Jesus. And Peter is now following him at a distance. Peter is also about to deny the Lord three times, just as was prophesied. In verse 59, now the chief priests, the elders, and all the council sought false testimony against Jesus to put him to death. Automatically, what's happening here, they're breaking the law. They themselves are guilty. They're breaking the law, seeking false testimony. In verse 60, but found none. They wanted all these people who can testify against Jesus Christ. They found none. Even though many false witnesses came forward, they found none. But at last, two false witnesses came forward and said, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. And you know what? He did say that. Jesus Christ did say that. Turn with me really quick to John chapter 2. John chapter 2. Verse 18. In John chapter 2, verse 18. So the Jews answered and said to him, What sign do you show us since you do these things? Remember Jesus Christ, you know, not not in this particular passage, 
But all the people were like, show us a sign. Yeah, I'll believe, but show me a sign. And Jesus Christ said, a wicked and cruel generation seeks after a sign. We don't believe of, in, in like signs and wonders. It's belief by faith. Belief in Jesus Christ by faith. What is faith? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. That's from Hebrews 11. That's what the Bible teaches. And so these Pharisees are like, what sign do you show us since you do these things? In verse 19, Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Then the Jews said, it has been 46 years to build the temple, this temple, and you will raise it up in three days. In verse 21, but he was speaking of the temple of his body. He was speaking about himself. You know, as, as Jonah was in the belly of the whale three days and three nights, so too shall the Son of Man be in the earth and then come rise up again. It was prophesied. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered. His disciples remembered. And that's what's so beautiful about the Word of God. You read the Word of God and something happens where the pages of Scripture, they turn white. Because every jot, every tittle is going through your eye holes and then right down in your heart. And you have fertile soil in your heart and it brings forth an abundance of fruit. And if there's ever a time where it's like there's a little distance between you and Jesus Christ, just as what happened with Peter, all you have to do is remember his words. Remember the words of Holy Scripture. Because you'll be like, wow, you know what? I shouldn't go this way. I need to get back to where I need to be. I shouldn't go a little bit too much this way. I need to get back to where I need to be. The Bible teaches that's the narrow path. Wide is the way of destruction, but narrow is the way that leads to everlasting life. That's what the Bible says. And then he says, therefore, therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said to them, that he had said this to them, and they believed the scripture and the word, the word which Jesus had said. That's the beauty of remembering, the beauty of remembrance. And so going back to our passage in Matthew 26, the Pharisees, the, the high priest, they get this guy to say, you know, in verse 61, this fellow said, I'm able to destroy the temple and, and God, the, the temple of God and to build it in three days. And the high priest, because he didn't have ears to hear and eyes to see, he says, you know, they, they, he says in verse 26, and the high priest arose and said, do you answer nothing? Do you answer nothing? I kind of love this verse a lot. I mean, there's no red letters in verse 62 and 63. There's no red letters. But you know what I love about it? You see Jesus Christ, he says absolutely nothing. Have you ever wanted to vindicate yourself? When somebody talks smack against you, talks smack about you, and you want to say something. Or somebody calls you a name, and you want to respond and here you see the Lord Jesus Christ. He says absolutely nothing. Silent before his accusers. You know, somebody accuses you of this. Somebody accuses you of that. And in your heart of hearts, you're innocent. 
Let the Lord be your vindication. You know, and we're all in the same boat because it's, I, I'm not trying to say it's a piece of cake. That's why when there was a legal matter that came up in the church in Corinth, Paul was the one who wrote a letter and he says, why don't you rather let yourself be cheated? You know, instead, you know, you want to get on a high horse and say, you know, I'm right. You know, put your stake in the ground and say, I'm right. You're wrong. And Paul says, why don't you rather let yourself be cheated? Take the humble way. Take the, the way of the meek and allow yourself to be cheated. And the Lord will vindicate you. You see, like, I tried that and the Lord didn't vindicate me. Well, you know, maybe not in this life, but the life to come. The life to come. You know, a lot of people let the Lord fight for them, which is a beautiful thing. And you're going to see all these disciples, when they return to the Lord and they have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they all get killed. Every single one of them. Peter, the one who denied the Lord. The one where there was distance between him and Jesus Christ. Historically speaking, when they were going to kill him, they were going to put him up on a cross. And he stopped them and he said, no, please put my cross upside down. Hang me upside down because I'm not worthy to die like my Lord. Nero cut off Paul's head. Chopped it off. All these beautiful, beautiful men of God, women of God. Read Fox's book of martyrs. See what happened to the early church. See how they were killed. See what they did to pregnant women. See what they did to our sisters in the Lord. People who, by faith, and I'm saying this very spiritually speaking now, we're going to see them one day in our glorified bodies. We'll be with them one day. That's why Jesus Christ says, count the cost. Count the cost. Because you walk with the Lord, you close the distance between you and Him, and you're, you fall in love with Him more and more and more every day, the world will hate you. The world will make fun of you. You believe in those fairy tales? You believe all these things? And you know, you don't want to deny Jesus Christ. So yes, I do. And they'll make fun of you more and more and more and more. And you know what the Lord says? He says, remember, they hated me first. That's why Peter, we're going to see in a couple more chapters, actually in the book of Acts, they rejoice when they're persecuted. And it's like they start to get happy. They start to get full of joy when they receive persecution because they're counted worthy to suffer shame for the name of Jesus Christ. It's like, wow, you know, this. it's one thing if somebody calls you an idiot. You know, if you're if somebody calls you an idiot because you are an idiot, you know, it's like, OK, they're just calling the, the kettle black. But if somebody calls you dumb and stupid and they want to punch you and kick you and maybe even kill you, maybe even chop off your head, which is happening in Africa, happening in Arab countries, in China to Christians. It's like, well, I'm counted worthy to suffer shame. For Jesus Christ. It's the world. It's the world we live in. And so this is what the Lord says. Actually, this is what the Lord doesn't say. There's no red letters in verse 62 and 63. And in 62, and the high priest arose and said to him, do you answer nothing? What is it these men testify against you? But Jesus kept silent. I love these words. 
I love these words so much. When somebody wants to talk smack about you or when somebody gets in your face, you know, you really want to believe this? Just say nothing. For me, saying nothing, you know, it, it's an aid. Because, you know, sometimes you say things you wish you hadn't said. You know, and it's like, whoa, you know, I shouldn't have said. Then you have to repent and you have to come back to that guy and say, hey, I'm sorry. Which isn't a bad thing. You know, that's what the Lord teaches us to do. But sometimes it's a lot better to just not say a word. It's like, you know what? I'm not going to say a word. And you get heated even more. Okay, I got to step away. I can't be here. And somebody might say, oh, you're so weak. You have to walk away. And you're like, no, I'm, I'm afraid of myself. I don't want to say these things. And I don't want it to boil up to where it gets to a point. It's like, hey, I got to step away. But Jesus kept silent. And the high priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the son of God. Remember, Christ means Messiah. And, you know, Christ wasn't the last name. It's not like, you know, Jesus is his first name and Christ is his last name. They're saying Jesus is the Messiah. Tell us if you are the Christ or the Messiah, the son of God. Jesus said to him, it is as you say. Nevertheless, I say to you, hereafter, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. These are some hardcore words. Because he's speaking about his second coming. He's speaking about his second coming to the high priest. The one who was supposed to have communion with the Lord. Who was a hypocrite. And because of his hypocrisy, he was blind. He did not have eyes to see nor ears to hear. And Jesus Christ tells him about his second coming when he comes on the clouds of heaven. In verse 65, then the high priest tore his clothes saying he has spoken blasphemy. You know, he's playing a role. He's an actor. If you remember in Matthew 23, all the times the Lord called them out on their hypocrisy. In Matthew 23, verse 13, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Verse 14, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. He says it all over. It happens over and over. Woe to you, you hypocrites. Woe to you, you hypocrites. Verse 16, woe to you, blind guides. Verse 17, fools and blind. He says it over and over. You guys are hypocrites. That word translates in the Greek, hypocrites. It translates as an actor, somebody who's playing a part. I mean, you see like, you know, say you have like a favorite actor who's like in, you know, 10 different movies. And in one movie, he's a villain. In the next movie, he's an action guy. Or in the next movie, he's a... Uh, I don't know, whatever, you know, the victim. I don't know, you know, but whatever. That's how the Lord is calling them out on their hypocrisy. They're just actors. They're posers. They're playing the part. And here you have the high priest, you know, like the law says, you know, tear your clothes in shame. And so he tears his clothes. He has spoken blasphemy. He's the blasphemy because of his hypocrisy. What further need do we have of witnesses? Look, now you have heard his blasphemy. In verse 66, what do you think? Remember, he's speaking to the council of the wicked. All these group of people. If you remember, in verse 3, you have the chief priest, the scribes, the elders of the people. They assembled at the palace of the high priest called Caiaphas. 
and plotted to take Jesus by trickery and kill him. So this whole night, this is the events of one evening. This whole night, the disciples, they get tired. Their eyes are heavy. Verse 43 says their eyes are heavy and they all fell asleep. And Satan was at work. That's what happens when you're asleep too. Satan is at work plotting. How am I going to make this guy fall? How am I going to make this girl fall? Oh, I can't make this guy fall. I can't make this girl fall. I'm going to come after the kids now. How am I going to make this kid fall? The kid goes to school, hangs out with his friends. The friends show them the phone with the pornography. Another friend pulls out a joint from his pocket. Here, take a hit of this. The other friend wants to be cool and says, you think that's hardcore? Let me show you how hard, hardcore I am, you know, and starts to dump out some lines, you know, with his little razor. And then all of a sudden, Satan wins. Satan takes, takes that little life. I don't mean to be crass in saying these things and speaking like this. I know my tongue is sharp. But all you got to do is look at the world. This is the world we live in. And so, you know, it's like one time there was a mom who was like, oh, you know, I don't like how you talk like this. I don't like how you speak like this. You know, my kids are so young. It's like, okay, I'm sorry. I didn't change, you know. I just can't. And then, you know, I go see them. I go to their house. And they're all, we're all around the TV and they're watching the TV. I'm like, you have a problem with what I say? Look at what's on TV. Look at what they're saying on TV. Look at what's happening there. And you have a problem with what I say? Stupid. It's crazy. All these things that, you know, you subject your mind to. You know, people watch their TV. They watch their movies. I'm not trying to say that that's a bad thing. You know, I'm not trying to impose anything. But kids, young people, young little souls, they're so easily impressionable. You know, and they say, wow, you know, if I want to be pretty, I got to dress like this. You know, I got to behave like this. And guys are like, wow, you know, I want a girl like this or a girl like this. But then you read the Bible and it's like, wow, I want to, you know, I want a wife like this. You know, a young boy would say like, wow, I want I want a wife like this. For the next generation of righteousness. Just as you see from Genesis to Revelation, you see the seed of righteousness across generations. Beautiful, beautiful people in the eyes of the Lord. And so you have this counsel of the wicked. What do you think in verse 66? They answered and said, he is deserving of death, the death penalty. Then they spat in his face and beat him and others struck him with the palm with the palms of their hands. In Mark 14, it says that they blindfolded him too. They put they covered his eyes and they were beating him and spitting him, punching him. And in verse 68 saying, "Prophesy to us Christ. Prophesy to us Messiah. Who is the one who struck you?" They blindfold him and punch him in the face. You're the Messiah prophesy. Who is it that hit you? Mocking the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Savior of the world. I, I, I gotta be careful. This makes me mad. I, I, you know, it's, 
this is our Lord. And as much as I hate this, you know, it's like, wow, you know, don't let this happen. You know, don't let this be. You read and it's like, well, it's pleasing to the Father. Peter also said it, you know, this isn't going to happen, Lord, over my dead body. I'm not going to let this happen. And then the Lord says, get behind me, Satan. These things have to happen. It's how we have, you know, it's how the family of faith grows. That's how we have oneness with God. That transfer of my sin to him, the transfer of your sin to him. That's how much God loves you. In verse 69, now Peter, remember, he's following at a distance. Now Peter sat outside in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him saying, you also were with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them all saying, I do not know what you are saying. That's denial number one. And when he had gone out to the gateway, another girl saw him and said to those who were there, this fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. But again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. You notice the, the grammar here. Period in verse 70 and in verse 72, the exclamation point, denial number two. And a little later, those who stood by came up and said to Peter, surely you also are one of them for your speech betrays you. Verse 70, verse 74. Then he began to curse and swear. It trips me out so much because you see, it's his old nature. Fisherman by trade. Fisherman by trade. You know, I've, I've been around the block a couple times and the fishermen that I know, there's some rough, tough guys. And they don't necessarily talk with the best vernacular. And it says here, then he began to curse and swear his old nature is alive and well. The former man. That's why you read the writings of Paul. He says, reckon the old man dead, reckon the old woman dead and be alive in Christ. You know, that's how I used to behave when I was dead to sin. That's how I used to behave when I partook of these things. And I bet you, you can say the same things too. I'm not gonna behave like that anymore because that's the person who is crucified with Christ. The person now is the one who is alive with Christ because I bear his name on my heart. I don't want there to be any distance between him and me. There is no gap between him and me. And then Peter said, you know, he began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man, exclamation point. It's denial number three. Remember, he used to call him Lord. He used to call him Lord. And now he's saying, I do, I do not know the man. Immediately, a rooster crowed. Just like in the same chapter. You know when he's saying in verse 33, I will never be made to stumble. In verse 34, Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you! Exclamation point. And so said all the disciples. What a night. What a night. Because the 11 disciples, Judas already went to join Caiaphas. The 11 remaining disciples, they all forsook him as is told in verse 56. And then here, the rooster crows in verse 75. You know, it, it's painful because that what's recorded in Luke chapter 22, verse 61, 
says Jesus Christ was looking right at Peter when the rooster crowed. Remember, Peter's following at a distance and they're beating him. You know, they blindfold him, prophesy, prophesy. You know, tell us who was the one who hit you, spat in his face and beat him. When you read prophecies in the Old Testament, it says they tore at his beard. They ripped out his beard. And then all of a sudden the blindfold comes off. The rooster crows and his eyes are right on Peter. In verse 75, and Peter remembered the words of Jesus who, who had said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So he went out and wept bitterly. You know, you see these, when the gap between God and a person gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, and you see how it's dealt with, how it's handled with humility. You also see how it's handled with pride. You see David with humility. You see Saul with pride. You see that Peter went out and wept bitterly. What have I done? What have I done? That's the beauty of godly sorrow. What 2 Corinthians chapter 7 teaches us in verse 8 through 11. Godly sorrow. How it leads to repentance. How it leads to restoration. I don't want to get ahead of myself. But this one who denied the Lord three times. Who said I will never be made to stumble. This same one. I don't, you know, if you ever want to read uh, passages of scripture, you know, like, I know you, you want to read them, but I'm going read like the letters that Peter writes to the church. First Peter, second Peter, because you see the love that he has for the bride of Christ and teaching them and exhorting them. And when it came his time to die, he said, I'm not worthy to die my, like my Lord. Put me upside down. I'm not worthy. You see, he was restored by the Lord. If there's ever a moment in your life where you think, where you realize, man, the gap between me and the Lord is too great. Fall to your knees and repent and remember brother Peter. So we're going to end our study here.